our phenomenal viewers, listeners, and supporters. I am your host, Podcast Bree, and I am always excited to be here. If you're a new audience member, we are so grateful to have you. Welcome back to another episode of Connected, where we discuss all things mental health, recovery, employment, and stories. Before we dive in, this episode is sponsored by Contra Costa Behavioral Services and John Muir. On our final episode of this segment, Connected will be focused on the BIPOC community, sharing personal stories, anecdotes, and awareness from specialists around the Bay Area. Our next guest is no stranger to success. A man of many skills and qualifications, DeShannon has supported hundreds of individuals and families over the last 30 years to accomplish their dream of homeownership. This philanthropist, social justice worker, and licensed therapist operates with numerous organizations around the Bay to combat the ever-growing homeless crisis. He is also a member of the 100 Black Men of the Bay Area, a real estate broker, father, husband, and mentor to many. Please give a warm welcome to DeShannon. Thank you. Thank you. No worries. Couldn't have said it better myself. Yay! <laughs> I wrote it myself. <laughs> Just put that out there. <laughs> How are you feeling this morning? I'm feeling well. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I'm, I say this every episode, and I'm always going to say this every episode. I'm so excited to be here and to have this guest. I feel like this will be a great ending to wrap up our BIPOC segment. And you are our first black man on this show. So congratulations. Um, it'll be a nice, a nice ending where we can kind of summarize everything that we've kind of talked about over these past eight episodes. And it'll be good. You can solidify us and give us some real facts and and awareness and like backup to the things that we've been talking about if you guys have been following along. Great. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. So my first question. Um, so because you do um, clinical, you're a clinical therapist, mm -hmm. correct? Mm -hmm. And so because you talk about having to detach from that kind of work and and not taking your your work home with you yeah. for the most part, and how do you do that? And like, how are you taking care of yourself as a black man? Thank you for that question. Um, I, I, I think that I, uh, I do a, an amazing job mm -hmm. at leaving work at work mm -hmm. and being able to detach from the traumas that is that I experience by way of vicarious traumas mm -hmm. uh, from working with the amazing clients that I work with. I take trips. Um, I just sit and meditate and focus on the moment mm. i'm big with uh i ride harleys oh know, cool so um and a medley of other things mm -hmm. so i i do well with self-care uh, was that always easy no it wasn't um because uh, i i'm also a workaholic mm -hmm. uh so with that i have to be mindful and strategic about taking that time to to um kind of just let it all out so to keep it on a happy note before we dive in, because it's probably going to be a heavy episode, um, where's your favorite place you like to trip to? Um, I would say either Jamaica, mm. uh, Atlanta is cool, Houston. Um, one of my daughters, my oldest daughter actually lives in, in Houston. She just mm. bought a house out there, so I like going out there. Congratulations. Thank you. I like going out there hanging with her. Yeah. Yeah. That's sweet. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. sweet. Houston, I have not been, but I've heard nothing but good things about Houston. Yeah, Houston's nice. So I have to have to go there. Mm -hmm. 
we talked about post-traumatic slave syndrome. Mm-hmm. I now have the book. I have not read the book yet, but it was written by Dr. Joy DeGruy. Mm-hmm. I'm not correct. Yeah. Um, so according to joydegruy.com, Dr. DeGruy developed her theory of post-traumatic slave syndrome, publishing her findings in the book, Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome, America's Legacy of Enduring Injury and Healing. The book addresses the residual impacts of generations of slavery and opens up about the discussion of how the black community can use the strengths we have developed in the past to heal the present. How does this relate to you and some of the things that your parents went through? Um, I remember that you said that you didn't have the easiest upbringing Mm -hmm. and your parents were both addicted to drugs and substances. Mm -hmm. And so how do you think that post-traumatic slave syndrome played into the conditions that they were subjected to? Great question. Great question. So growing up in deep East Oakland, Mm -hmm. you know, people from Oakland are so Oakland. Right. I hear that uh, all the time. <laughs> I grew up in deep East Oakland, um, being in a environment that was definitely riddled with the uh, with substances mm-hmm. and, and everything that went along with that. And knowing that both of my parents, my mother lived out here in Oakland. My father actually lived on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Both of them were highly addicted to substances but never did substances together. Mm. So that's a cue that there's something going on in that generation, considering it was so popular at that particular time. Mm. The crack era was really big. Um, so there's generational trauma from the, from the perspective of post-traumatic slave syndrome. Post-traumatic slave syndrome basically says that if, if slavery was over in 1865, That means that my great, great grandparents were connected to slavery, never received any type of therapy, never received any type of help, never received any type of mental health support. Mm -hmm. That trauma was passed on to my great grandmother. I had a great relationship with my great grandmother. Mm -hmm. That trauma was passed on to my grandparents. That trauma was passed on to my parents. And that trauma was passed on to me. The it's my responsibility to recognize what's going on and how I'm moving in the world so that I don't pass that trauma on to my kids. Absolutely. So Joy DeGruy was really big with post-traumatic slave syndrome. And there was a study by a, a gentleman, I can't, re- I can't recall his name, but in 1966, he started doing um, studies on generational trauma from the perspective of individuals that were survivors of the Holocaust. Mm. And with that, they did blood tests on individuals who were direct descendants or survivors of the Holocaust Mm -hmm. and saw that there was a certain chemical in their blood that was released. They also did that. They also did blood tests on individuals that weren't connected to the Holocaust, but they but they were in the same socio, they shared the same socioeconomic status. Mm-hmm. And they saw that there was a difference in their blood. Then those folks had children, their offsprings actually had that same chemical in their blood, mm-hmm. the others didn't. So it, it talks about how with epigenetics, mm-hmm. individuals 
trauma is passed down mm -hmm. biologically, also with the stories that we tell, also with the way that we move in the world, the food we the eat, food we eat um, all of those things. And trauma, I just heard um, recently that trauma can be passed down mm -hmm. about 14 or 15 generations. Wow. Whether you know those individuals or not. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess the other question is, how can we, as, as black people in, in particular, heal from those generational traumas, heal from post-traumatic slave syndrome? Um, the way of healing from that is awareness. Mm -hmm. recognizing, recognizing. recognizing what we have going on. Is it affecting our relationships, our work, um, how we move in the world, like you said, how we eat? Recognizing those things, making changes, and moving forward from there. And it's not easy. It's it's not easy and it's not something that I feel like can be done just all in one generation. Correct. You have, like you said, 14 generations of trauma that has been passed down to you. Mm -hmm. And it's it's not something that's as easily, and it is um, awareness as well. And we've talked about on other episodes on how to forgive our parents and grandparents for the things that they did to us just to have awareness that they were dealing with their own traumas mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and things that they were going through and recognizing that and kind of doing the best that they can with their resources. Yes. They're also a product of their environment as well. And so it's up to us or the next generation to be able to to work on that. Yeah. And um, I've had to be aware of it too. It's funny because I was whooped as a child. So that's the only way that I kind of know how to discipline. Yeah. And so now that it's this big conversation about gentle parenting and yeah. don't whoop your children. And I've always thought before I even got pregnant, like how am I, how do you discipline a child yeah. without, <laughs> without getting whooped? Now that I'm about to bring a black son into the world, I wouldn't, couldn't imagine putting my hands on him yeah. and, and trying to figure out different ways on how to, speak to a child and tell them no and and let them express their feelings and and be heard and, and be validated mm -hmm. um it's gonna be a challenge though yeah. <laughs> but you know it, it'll come with time people keep telling me right and and having empathy for our parents mm -hmm. and understanding that you know they they went through what they went through due to like you said the traumas that were passed down on to them mm -hmm. in the moment it's hard for us to think about and understand and provide empathy for someone that might be providing you pain. Mm -hmm. However, in hindsight, you know, when we're removed from the situation and we re when we are reflecting on it, it gives us the opportunity to assess it in a different way. Mm -hmm. Are your parents still alive? Uh, my father is, he passed about two years ago and my mother is still alive. Okay, my yeah. condolences for mm -hmm. one. Thank you. Um, for two, have you been able to forgive them? Yeah, I, I, I actually did. Um, not being that connected to my father, um, other than than uh, phone calls here and there. Right. Um, as an adult, um, um, as a child, I saw him, I would say in the summertime, mm -hmm. occasionally. Um, the more that I learn about what he's gone through, the more I've been able to provide empathy mm -hmm. for him. Uh, and with my mother, you know, we were we were there together in the 
and the getting it out the mud, right. as they say. In the trenches. In the trenches. <laughs> and um, definitely, I, I forgave her along the way and um, absolutely forgave her um, because it, it wasn't her fault. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't her fault being a single mother, uh, not having resources um, and not having the help that that uh, she should have gotten. Mm -hmm. Um, were your, did your parents ever recover? Did your dad ever recover or get clean before he passed away? My father, not really, not really. My father never really got well. My mother absolutely did. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I, I think when I turned, uh, 25 was when my, my mother, um, got sober and, okay. and, and never really looked back. That's good. You know, That's and good. and she still donned the scars of addiction mm -hmm. as well as her past traumas. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah. I know um, I wanted to take it uh, back to trauma living in your body. And my grandma just recently told me this story about something that she witnessed when she was a, a child. Her father was very abusive. It was a lot of things going on while my great grandmother, she was pregnant with one of my uncles. Mm -hmm. And so he turned out to be bipolar and have addiction issues, mm -hmm. abuses women, has a bunch of kids. And so when we were, I've never really known just the story of like how he grew up. And so my grandma, my grandma and I, when we were talking, she was just like, you know, that was something, the, the situation that happened, she was like, that's something I will never forget. And I was only mm -hmm. four years old. And she said, and my mother and I never talked about that situation until well later on. And she was just like, you know, that's probably why your brother turned out to be bipolar and have some issues because I was going through so much stress while mm -hmm. I was pregnant with him. And so my grandma always is just like, I don't know why he can't just change. Like, you know, he watched our father abuse our mother and other women. And, and then he mm -hmm. continues with the cycle is always in prison. And so she's like, I just, I don't know, but it's just probably just wired in him and yeah. in his DNA. And then you have to want to change as well too. So mm -hmm. I'm not going to just brush it off. Like he can't change, but you know, it, it really is a cycle. And then just growing up, my fellow Ohioan, <laughs> growing up in Ohio, when mm -hmm. I go back home, it's just not many resources at all. Right. Like it's nothing to do. And so I see how you can be wrapped in so much of not the best things, yeah. you know, and get into that. So thank you for sharing your story. Um, mm -hmm. I appreciate, you know, you saying that you forgave your parents. Um, that's something that we should definitely try to focus on. It's not an easy thing, but you know, it's a work in progress for sure. Yeah. And, and then one of the things you mentioned about with um, that individual having bipolar disorder. Mm -hmm. Bipolar disorder is basically a form of depression, mm -hmm. bipolar depression. So a child is about 50% likely to have depression if their parent had it. Mm -hmm. So it's 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 common for it to continuously be passed down mm -hmm. through genetics and then there's the 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 concept of the aces right. at adver adverse childhood experiences mm -hmm. the adversity that you had as a child that you experienced and there are 10 aces mm -hmm. and the 
Dr. Nadine Burke said that Dr. Nadine Burke was a was a physician in San Francisco. Mm. She worked at Hunter's Point, correct? Exactly. Mm. And she rose to be the Surgeon General in the United States at one point. But she did a study um, with the ACEs and she said that she could predict if a person had four or more ACEs that they would actually die early. Mm-hmm. And that's heavy when you think about it. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that you have a death sentence when you have four or more. I actually have seven. Mm-hmm. It's about once you realize you have these ACEs, this number of ACEs, being aware, recognizing what you need to do to change, mm-hmm. what are your behaviors that you are are doing that can ultimately cause you to die. Mm-hmm. Um, so the aces are, and again, it's, it's 10 of them. Let's see if I can remember them. Okay. If you had physical abuse, sexual abuse, uh, physical neglect, um, emotional neglect, if your parents were divorced, if they use substances, if some, if one of them or both of them had a mental illness, if there was domestic violence in the in the household, then there's one more. I can't remember. Okay. You did great. I did. Thank you. you I appreciate <laughs> that. So if a person has, so like I said, I have seven, seven of them. And if a, it, some of the things that we need to recognize, and we talked about it earlier, mm-hmm. um, whether you, whether you get enough sleep, whether you drink water, the food you eat, whether you, um, exercise, whether you use substances, whether you have various unsafe behaviors, all of those things come into play. Mm-hmm. So uh, the ACEs are very important. Yeah, it, it, it was a, a really great study. And shout mm-hmm. out to Dr. Nadine Burt. Like I said, she did that study out of Hunter's Point in San mm-hmm. Francisco, California, which yeah. is still there, but yeah. not really still there. Yeah. 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 So earlier you mentioned being a workaholic mm-hmm. and um, it brings me back to one of my other questions. Yeah, earlier you talked about coming from poverty and never wanting to experience that again. Mm-hmm. Does that breed some type of anxiety or PTSD in you today? When I hear that word workaholic, yeah. I think anxiety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I, um, I think before, especially when I was initially um starting my career in real estate um for sure um i felt like i worked 24 7. you know i was always on the computer always showing houses always looking for properties to buy always working on on properties um in my career as a investor i've owned 80 to 90 front doors mm-hmm. and with that um i, I definitely got rid of most of them. I have a couple, I have a handful right now. But when you have that, a portfolio like that, and you're responsible for taking care of them yourself, even when you're on vacation, you're getting phone calls. Mm -hmm. So um, I never really, during that time, when I was younger and had the energy to do it, yeah, I I, I never put my phone down. Mm -hmm. So now, moving more into the space of clinical mental health mm-hmm. as a as a therapist a lcsw um 
my heart is with supporting individuals with severe and persistent mental illnesses. And I find a lot of joy in that. And I, I don't necessarily think of it as work. Um, seeing individuals, um, supporting individuals through their journey of wellness is is what it's about. And I, I can almost say I, I don't really work right now mm. because it's it's just like second nature for mm -hmm. me, you know. But I'm working. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing this uh, this meme um, mm. around the time I quit my job to just pursue entrepreneurship mm -hmm. and it said I didn't want a nine to five anymore so I quit my job now I work 24 7 yeah <laughs> and you really do when yeah. you are an entrepreneur and, and, a, and a philanthropist and you want to get certain things done there's no balance you can make a schedule mm -hmm. and, and have some balance but I feel like once you have that idea you got to act on it in that yeah. moment because you don't know where your next paycheck is going to come from it can come at three o'clock in the morning yeah. when you just responded to a message so you yeah. never know you don't have that nine to five schedule or that 11 to seven or whatever mm -hmm. schedule people work nowadays um so to balance it out because we kind of started off really really heavy i want to talk about one of the most gratifying moments that you had in your career and if you can identify that um so Currently, right now, I am the therapist for the probation department um, in one of the local counties. I have my own private practice, Comfort mm -hmm. Wellness Therapy. I work part-time at Kaiser, mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's, that's rewarding as well. Real estate, um, this, this, in this market right now, not too many folks are really doing real estate because the interest rates are so high. Out of this world. Yeah, out of this world right now. Um, so that's kind of on the back burner. Um, and I still have some of my investments mm -hmm. when it comes to things that I've done that I felt like it was really rewarding for me. Actually, in one of my previous jobs, when I worked in the drug court in Alameda County in Oakland, supporting individuals to get off of especially opiates was very rewarding for me, um, especially in this climate where individuals are overdosing due to, especially from fentanyl mm -hmm. and, and um, other opiates. Um, it, seeing people change their life in that way was amazing. And now moving to the space where in my private practice, and seeing individuals go through their struggles and being there for them and allowing them to know that I'm there for them no matter what is really gratifying for me. Mm -hmm. And knowing that it's just me in, in this particular practice, opening up the space for individuals mm -hmm. is, is really big. Mm. Yeah. Do you have a specific story you think that you can touch on or a, a particular case that you had that it was just like wow and you got chills um i'll say a few i'll put it in a category okay um just for the safety of individual right. stories um individuals that i have dealt with um a few individuals that i have dealt with with severe um depression mm -hmm. uh to the point of them um coming close to dying from suicide mm -hmm. was um, was scary. And then continuously working with them and being there for them 
and watching them come out on the other side and feeling like they um, are not in the space of, of um, having that experience anymore and seeing them do well after that and thrive. Mm. Yeah. It's always awesome knowing yeah. that you can, that you made real change in someone. Mm -hmm. You saved someone's life. More or less. Yeah. We worked together. We partnered in, in, in their wellness, I would say. Yeah. yeah. And you gotta, you gotta want it to, and, and work at it and mm -hmm. have some consistency in anything that you do that you want to get better at. Yeah. <sighs> it's a mindset change. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Well, you talk about you being a clinical therapist yeah. and therapy can be seen as expensive mm. to someone who might feel like it's, it's not a attainable priority. Yeah. We'll say, um, so being a licensed mental health therapist, what are some resources you can provide to our viewers and listeners to on ways that you can pay for therapy? Okay. So many individuals pay for therapy. Therapy is very expensive. Let me say that. So many individuals are forced to pay out of pocket mm -hmm. um, due to this ever-changing um, healthcare system that we have. Mm -hmm. Some people rely on their um, on their health care system, um, and there's challenges with that in many cases. Some people use their EAP at their job. Uh, if they don't have those resources, um, the community systems like Medi-Cal, Medicare um, can be supportive. Um, and then I'm, I'm the chair of the mental health committee with the 100 black men of the mm -hmm. Bay Area. And last year we created a initiative where we actually pay for therapy for anyone who wants it. Mm -hmm. um, this new initiative is actually for anyone in Alameda County. Okay. So anyone in Alameda County who wants therapy they can pick their own therapist in the community and we will pay for two sessions a month for six months. It's very easy to uh, obtain this resource. Uh, you, the application can be filled out in less than 60 seconds. Oh, wow. And we don't turn anyone down. Oh, wow. And um, it's there. Uh, and what I'll, I'll make sure that I send the uh, link to you as well as the QR code to share it with dang uh, i gotta move to alameda county now to get some free therapy <laughs> sheesh <laughs> yeah. no that's cool i don't mm -hmm. like how like through certain jobs and certain things that happens they mm -hmm. give you like six free sessions yeah i feel like six is like we're just scratching the surface yes. like you're just getting to know me mm -hmm. kind of thing and um my mom's job offered my brother myself and my dad that after my mom passed away and mm -hmm. it felt like I had to get a lot. I got to be strategic on how I want those sessions to be. Yeah. And then we really didn't get to scratch the surface, yeah. I felt like. And then she was like, all right, well, uh, my fee is 250 And if you want to continue, right. then, I mean, you can pay out of pocket. And I was just like, ah, yeah. I'll figure it out on my own. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I might go back to therapy. We'll see. Especially now that I'm about to have a child, I probably need, I'm mm -hmm. going to need some therapy. But, um. Yeah, it was just, it didn't seem obtainable at the yeah. time. And I wasn't working either. I had just quit my job too. So I was just yeah. like, 
trying to figure it out. Um, but thank you for that resource. And that is very notable that you guys were able to put something like that together and know that this is something that can be funded because it should be funded. It should be a part of our general health care system. Um, just as much as your physical care, your mental care is just as important. So um, we need more programs like that. So thank you. We will provide a link in the description for that. Um, wow, we're getting through these questions and I really appreciate it. It's um, one of my last questions is more so just so the other day, a friend of mine and I were discussing um, the violence that is perpetuated within our community when there's a mixture of multiple things such as grief, loss, revenge, and the misguided youth. So how are ways that you are kind of navigating through that? And how does the work that you do directly impact that? So um, as a therapist, um, I open up my practice for individuals, especially young men, young black men, mm -hmm. Um, from 15 on up, uh, the, the individual, you spoke about grief, revenge, misguided individuals, grief, you know, there's a lot of murders in Oakland, yeah. in the Bay Area. There's no learning when a person is in distress. Mm -hmm. So imagine a person grieving not able to 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 think clearly and mm -hmm. reacting to certain things right um revenge yeah um our social media supports revenge being cool being tough the music the music versus healing versus being able to say, I'm frustrated, I'm sad, I'm confused, mm -hmm. I'm hurt, I'm grieving. Anger is the go-to emotion that we talk about, especially mm -hmm. for men, especially for young black men. When in many cases, anger isn't what we're actually feeling. Yeah. It's, it's socially acceptable to say that we're angry. It's low-hanging fruit to be able to say we're angry versus, again, actually, I'm not angry. It's, I'm frustrated. I'm hurt. I'm sad. I'm, I'm sad. I'm disappointed. And being able to show those emotions, being able to cry if you need to cry. Mm -hmm. And being able to let other people know that I'm human enough to cry in right. this moment. And, and, and that's okay. And understanding that it is okay not to be okay. Right. And, and when you have young black males growing up in an environment where it's chaotic, it's unsafe, you don't have resources that you can tap into to be able to support what you're experiencing and what you're feeling in that particular moment. I understand that sometimes people, why a individual will, will 
take to the streets and mm-hmm. and 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 do what they need to do or what they feel they need to do yeah. and react in a unhealthy unsafe way mm-hmm. it's because no one's doing anything about it yeah and and when we were having that conversation i was just like what drives someone to kill someone else like what drives someone to really like i'm going to go take his life you know mm-hmm. and he was just like when you grow up with a person you guys do things together you see each other every day you're playing video games together you're going through all these different you know things and mm-hmm. that you go through through life together and somebody takes their life then you just don't know as a child how you will want to react and i was like okay well, when you put it like that but still like taking the other person's life does not feel like it's even because now I'm going to be stressed out that mm-hmm. it's going to live on my conscience that, yeah. okay, it's about to be some more revenge. Yeah. And then it's just a cycle. So I don't see how that is the the end goal. Yeah. Like he took my friend, I'm going to take his friend, you yeah. know? And I'm just like, that That just causes more stress on to me yeah. as a person. Um, I didn't grow up in that lifestyle. So yeah. I cannot fully speak on how someone else who does grow up in that mm-hmm. um, may feel. But he was just like, when you have your own child, you might, and, and God forbid anything happens to your own child, but you, you might be able to see or, you mm. know, because you never know that's your baby, you know, yeah. and, and what you might feel because you feel everything that your kids feel and they go through. So it was just it was just a really good conversation. And that's what sparked me to to ask that. Yeah. And when I'm listening to you right now, I'm thinking about the phrase, no justice, no peace. Mm. So there's so many unsolved murders in the Bay Area. Many individuals are not getting any justice. So there's no peace. There's no, there's nothing to support. When these things happen in the community, sometimes you have witnesses, sometimes you don't. The community really doesn't do anything about it. You know, so then you have someone that's that's not getting support physically, emotionally. Um and they're confused. They don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And and no one is supporting them. So um, I don't like it. I somewhat understand. And I'm doing what I need to do to support individuals so that that does not have to be the outcome. Right on. Yeah. Well, DeShannon, we're about to wrap up the episode. Is there any lasting things you want to let me know, let our viewers, our listeners, our supporters know you want to leave us with? So we can kind of just end this on such the note. I would say we have to remember that pressure bus pipes mm. and understanding that it's okay not to be okay. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to support one another through our, through, uh, our, where, our wellness. Mm-hmm. We have to um, make sure that we open up the, the lines of communication with one another and actually ask each other how we're doing and give the correct answer when someone asks that Mm -hmm. if you're doing okay say it if you're not doing okay it's okay to say that as well right and ask for what you need yeah i think it always puts people in a when when someone says i'm not okay to like if i walked in and then you know me and billy kind of greet each other in the morning if he's like you know how you doing i'm like 
kind of sad today. Mm. <laughs> it might put him in a state of, oh my God, I feel like I got to do something mm. to help her respond. And people might not feel like they know what to do. And right. so that's why you just kind of brush it off with, oh, I'm fine today. Mm -hmm. um, but it's one day I'm going to walk in Billy and be like, I'm sad today. So just know what to do. <laughs> okay, Billy's here. <laughs> right on. Well, DeShannon, thank you so much for being here. Um, you left us with a lot of great points um, and, and some really good facts. Um, and I just appreciate your time and you as a person and doing the work that you do. Do not stop and continue because we as black people, as black men, um, need a lot of a lot of resources. And so I'm going to say thank you again. All right. Thank you, Brianna. <laughs> well, this is another episode of Connected. Thank you for everybody who is listening. And we are out of here. See you.